Hey, welcome you on into another episode of the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. It's Mitch Bennell and Mitchell Ballet here to give you the latest of what's going on in the sporting world. Mitch is going to be back with you, man. We have uh, a number of things to get to here today as we head into a weekend, the opening weekend of high school football here in the state of Ohio. So very good to be back with you, Mitch. And yep, this is it. We get to have our first full week preview of some high school football games coming up. Get to recap high school football games for the first time over the course of the next, what, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, maybe 15 weeks. Who knows? But I, it is, it's exciting to have high school football officially back. It's a three to four month stretch that we'll be getting into starting now. So we want to kick it off with the games that we were able to see last night. Two big games here on Big Time Sports that you were able to see. If you will get to the one you live stream potentially in just a little bit. But in the meantime, I want to start off with the game that uh, kicked off uh, last night in Navarre between Sandy Valley and Fairless because that game was so, so eventful, so, so exciting, down to the wire between two teams that have been at each other's throats for the last two years. Fairless took the 2021 contest in a an overtime thriller, 29-28, a result that I thought was going to be all, nearly repeated last night. And then in 2022, Sandy Valley had Nick Petra as their quarterback uh, at, at the time, and Fairless was able to run all over them in Magnolia, 31-0. Well, last night, Sandy Valley pulling off the come-from-behind victory down by a touchdown entering the fourth quarter. The Cardinals rally back with a touchdown, a two-point conversion, and then another touchdown with less than a minute remaining to beat the Falcons by a score of 29-22. to Nick Petro in this game, in his first game, uh, first season debut, back after missing last year was phenomenal in this game. He was able to total three touchdowns on the night, two of them in the air to Lucas Gillen, who broke away from the fearless secondary twice in the contest uh, for long touchdowns. And then Petro was able to get that final scramble on the final offensive drive for Sandy Valley in this game. And when you look at some of the, uh, the things that went on this game, Mitch, it was very fascinating because Sandy Valley got off to a very good start. They were able to stop Fairless in the opening drive, get a touchdown on their opening drive offensively. And from there, it kind of felt like Sandy Valley might, if Fairless wasn't going to get its stuff together, which it eventually did, that they might be the ones running away with this contest. It was a very good start in comparison to where they were last year. Yeah, absolutely. It almost looked like the script was going to be flipped from last year, right? We talked about Fairless coming out and blowing out Sandy Valley. And we mentioned Nick Petro last year, getting hurt in that game obviously may have played a factor, but at the same time, last night, Mitch, both teams started out well. And then you thought, here we go. They're going to pull away, but no, I mean, this, this game lived up to the hype that we had coming into this week, right? This is a big time game. Obviously big time sports was there. It lived up to the hype even after what a rain, thunder, lightning delay. I mean, the weather last night played a giant factor, stopped both games that we had here on big time sports and they kept going at it once that game was resumed and coming down to the wire. I don't know if you could have had a more perfect first game of the season to get fans, you know, brought in here, even fans of other schools, right? I mean, casual football fans last night, Mitch, from surrounding counties and surrounding, you know, high schools, their attention was on this game. And why? Obviously, because there was only a few games last night, but. People are starving for football here in Ohio. We know what football means at the high school, college, and professional level here in Ohio. And Sandy Valley and Fairless really gave us a great first game to kick off the season. Um, 
I'm sure obviously one team happy with how the result went, the other one wishing something could have changed. But I think both teams are in a pretty good spot after what we saw last night. Now, Fairless, uh, you know, dropping the first game for the first time uh, in three years, and that also kept A.J. Sarbaugh from becoming the all-time winningest coach in the school's history, still stuck at 32 wins. But speaking of Fairless, Carson Colucci had himself a night as well, uh, was able to have a healthy amount of passes throughout the game, but got the job done on the ground, breaking free for touchdown runs of 45 and 59 yards each. And that 59-yarder put Fairless up for the first time in the game, 22 to 14 late in the third quarter, you're thinking, okay, how does Sandy Valley respond to this? Well, they certainly did with a fourth down connection from Petro to Gillen on a play that, as I mentioned, I was surprised that the fearless secondary allowed Gillen to get that wide open. And then Gillen actually made a key play on the next defensive front for Sandy Valley. It was in the red zone. Kalucci tried to find a, uh, a receiver down the right side and Gillen uh, working the corner slapped the ball out of bounds right before it got to the receiver. So therefore he wasn't able to get the touchdown to uh, get back the lead. And then the Cardinals held fairless on downs. There was a bit of a, a lack of a kicking uh, a game between the two teams last night to the point where the furthest they could, they were doing were, were point at points after. And a lot of times both teams were gashed uh, uh, up the, the run on the kickoff returns. Like a lot of teams are getting down to, into the other's territory, but when Sandy Valley got the ball with about 441 remaining, it was Chad Davis, one of the top running backs in the area, who was able to really break through the fair, fearless uh, defensive front, churning his way for five, six extra yards once he was once fearless players made contact. And he did just enough to where Sandy Valley got to a point where they were around the 13-yard line with about a minute left. And the clock kept ticking, and Sandy Valley had all their timeouts. And at first I'm thinking – What's Coach Gamble doing? Why doesn't he take a timeout here? What if they want to set up the offense? They didn't need to set up the offense in that situation because Petro was able to, as he did a number of times last night, draw the defense uh, towards him and then just cut right back up the middle and scramble his way into the end zone. And then Fairless nearly came back themselves because they were in the reds. They were near uh, on the other side of Sandy Valley's uh, side of the field uh, with about 12, with about 18 seconds remaining. And Colucci trying to make the hero play ran to the right side threw across his body toward, back towards the middle of the end zone. And it was a two on one situation for uh fearless receiver and two Cardinal defenders. And of course, Gillen making the game ceiling interception to secure a Sandy Valley vic victory. And they are back now above 500, uh, which they weren't at any point last year. So they will uh, start the season on a good note, heading into their week two matchup. Now, I want to go over to uh, the game that was in your area last night because, like my game, which had an hour and 40-minute delay in the third period due to lightning strikes and the, the weather, we had to keep you know watching for lightning as it went on. Perry and Canton Central Catholic met for the Battle of 13th Street, and that one uh, had a bit of a wait, too. I even saw a tweet from someone that said that Perry's band left the game uh, right when the break happened and they just packed all their stuff and went back to school. Makes sense. I mean, you're not going to per perform on the field again and you know, you didn't want to get your equipment wet, but even with that delay, this game came down to a one, two rushing punch from the Panthers that gave them their sixth victory in seven years against the Crusaders. Mitch, it does not matter who Perry graduates every year. This is a team that's hard to stop because of the offense they played, and they once again showcased that last night. It is so hard for opposing teams 
with their scout team during the week leading up to that game to replicate the wing tee. And Perry runs that to perfection. It's actually crazy how well they're able to run it. And that's still, that's all they've run for a number of years, obviously underneath under uh, the head, the legendary head coach, uh, coach Wakefield. It's nobody's been able to game plan to really stop it. Right. The only teams that have stopped it, Mitch are the teams. They eventually meet in the playoffs that more times than not just have bigger and faster kids. When you get down to the state level. And last night, this could not have been a better start for Perry because you're right. It was a one-two punch last night uh, by Harris and Ryder Hartstorm. Or Hearts. Actually, yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, I don't know how to describe it because Central, I think, knows what they were getting themselves into last night because they play every year. This is the Battle of 13th Street. Bragging rights are on the line. And Perry last night, Mitch, it looked like they didn't try to outsmart anybody. They said, here's what we're going to do. Try to stop it. And if you stop it, then we'll we'll readjust. And nobody could stop it. And I can tell you this right now, Mitch. If that's the way Perry's going to play this year, everybody else in the Federal League is going to be on watch because it is so difficult to stop this offense. Now, the flip side, if you have an offense that can score fast too, Obviously, running the ball at certain points of the game, if you're trailing, becomes hard if you make Perry one-dimensional. But if Perry's able to play like this and play from in front all year, Mitch, I might be overreacting here after one week, after one game. But the Federal League's on notice because there's been nobody to been able to really stop it or contain it for the most part over the past however many years you really want to go back. Yeah, Maslin Perry is trying to work their way back from a sub-500 season and kind of build upon a lot of the experience that the, a lot of the younger players got from last year into this season. I also want to keep an eye out on new Canton Central quarterback Brennan Betts because he was heavily relied on in his first start uh, for the Crusaders. Obviously, a transfer from East Canton was an all-IBC first-teamer last year for the Hornets, and he did throw four touchdowns in the game. I believe he went 21 of 38 passing for 311 yards, but throwing those four interceptions, including that one for a pick six that was taken back by Connor Shepard is a bit concerning. Uh, is that more so just an like, is that a case for Can Central of over reliance on one particular player, or is it kind of just more of the decision making on Betts's part? Do you think? I think it has to be both, right? We just, you just said a player that transferred over. You obviously have all the training camp in the weeks leading up to it and the scrimmages to get familiar. But Mitch, when you're also talking about high school football, these are kids that for the most part have not only played together for a few years, they've grown up together. They've, they played youth football, little league football, and that's what it's like for most sports. So to transfer over here, and I'm not saying this is obviously a main reason, but obviously the familiarity factor, your first game at home under the lights on a Thursday night, the spotlight is on you in Stark County. There's pressure there at the same time. It did rain. The weather was not ideal. And so having to ask a quarterback to throw that much in less than ideal conditions also doesn't play to his favor or, or play in his favor. And so if I'm central and, and I'm uh bets, it is what it is. You're and one, you come back next week and hopefully, you know, you can learn from this more so than you take away because he put up some amazing numbers, Mitch. I mean, I mean, just he had himself a night. Unfortunately, it just wasn't enough. And those four interceptions are why the other thing was it all the quarterback or was there miscommunication on the routes? The wide receivers are running. 
Uh, that's something that we often don't get to know here at this level specifically. But Perry off to a hot start. Central starts 0-1, but this is a team that usually rebounds pretty well over there at Canton Central Catholic. And we'll have to see how Betts and the Crusaders rebound heading into week two. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's been a while. I mean, the last time, the last player in the, in the Stark County area that I can remember putting up the sort of numbers that bets put in this contest, maybe, uh, maybe greens, Robbie Clockner last season. That's because they relied on him a lot for, uh, for the offense in those games. He would post up like 400, 500 passing yard nights, five touchdowns, and they would have a game in which they won by like 10 points, which kind of, it goes to show certain details, but it also goes to show like what some teams or how some teams operate more in the air than they do on the ground uh, for their offensive systems for the season. And we'll see if they change in time. So when we come back, we'll go over more of what's going to be happening this coming weekend. We obviously have a number of Friday night games to get to. We want to list those off. We want to give our predictions, our thoughts, and they will be between Stark and Tuscarawas counties here on the Big Time Sports Podcast Show.
Hey, we're welcome you back here on the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. We now go over to our previews for week one of the high school football season here in Ohio. We have two games on the docket for Big Time Sports tonight, one in Stark, one in Tuscarawas County. We will have tonight on Big Time Sports the Dover Crimson Tornadoes traveling up north for their season debut against the Bulldogs of Uniontown Green. It should be a very good matchup there. We'll get to that in just a moment. We'll also talk about the New Philadelphia Quakers playing host to the Louisville Leopards at Woody Hayes Quaker Stadium tonight. You can check out all those games on Big Time Sports on your local cable listings as well as WIVMTV.com and BigTimeSportsOhio.com on their respective check out our schedule there you can find the uh local uh the times and listings there so i want to talk about this matchup mitch at first between green and dover because it's such a rare instance of a federal league team facing off with a team from tuscarawas county where dover has played a lot of these big schools over the last couple of years since going independent they will now travel to uniontown to take on a bulldogs team that was five and seven last season. Uh, they were they lost six of their final seven games. Also, uh, Dover did the same uh, by losing six out of the last seven. They're looking to improve uh, uh, with their players that were pretty young last season, still kind of green and developing. Uh, some of them also returning from injury. One of those being uh, Antonio Martin, who was expected to start the year after suffering a knee tear late in last season. I mean. Where does this green team rank for you among what they can, what they, where they can compete in the federal league and where do you see them uh, kind of putting the most pressure to perform to, uh, tonight against Dover? I think where I want to see what, what green is, Mitch is last segment. You mentioned the name Robbie Klockner. Mm-hmm. He's gone. Yep. From green. What are they going to do a quarterback? What? type of offense they're going to run you mentioned they lost six of the last seven games last year now with antonio martin returning that is going to be a big boost yes you know where exactly is he at in his recovery from the lower leg injury he had last year we're going to wait and see you can't expect him to carry the load this early in the season really his first game action back since injury mitch at the same time martin is an athlete green still has tremendous amount of athletes all over the field They have a good coach and they're playing at home. And that place from experience last year, Mitch covering a couple Bulldogs games, that place can get pretty rowdy. So is Dover going to be ready to go on the road and, and take this challenging environment and really Mitch kind of have to face a quarterback that there is no film. on. Keep that in mind. These, these teams watch film and they're able to get huddle cams and whatnot and see film. Green's going to have possibly an advantage at quarterback tonight in terms of lack of preparation on the other side. Dover, though, Mitch, could feast on inexperienced quarterback tonight for Green. I was going to say, Samino Manson is expected to take the snaps for Green. He's a six foot four, uh, a former wide receiver. He played receiver the last two seasons, and now he's transitioning over to under center. Martin is expected to be one of his weapons. He's also going to have arguably the top wide receiver in the federal league in Zach Baglia, who's going to be a senior this year. Led Stark County in receptions last year with 105 over those 10 games, receiving yards over 1,400. He also had 14 uh, receiving touchdowns on the year, and that's just one of the receivers. You also have Josh Just, Jarrett Taylor, Anthony Mandarin in the mix. Junior Caden Gregory could also be a serious threat. And with Dover, you kind of touched on it there. There isn't a clear-cut answer at quarterback as of now because they do have a very good running back or a very good uh, tailback in J.J. Barton, who in just six games last year, 
ran for over a thousand yards. This is a guy who can maneuver his way around the field. He's a big kid too. And I'm curious to see how Dover's offense is going to uh, match up against greens, especially with the likes of, uh, uh, Michael Shaw on defense, who went for 41 and a half tackles last year, seven tackles for loss, loss and three sacks as a sophomore. So this is only his junior season coming in uh, amongst the Bulldogs defensive front. Yeah, I am too. And you also have uh, linebacker AJ Fort Fortunato. I mean, yep. Mitch, these are two big players that Green's able to bring back and really rely on. And I also want to talk about the receivers for green because yes, they returned possibly the best wide receiver in Stark County in Baglia. Do you know how nice of a luxury it has to be for Sam Mino Manson to have Jarrett Taylor as a wide receiver, the star basketball player for green who Mitch, let me tell you can go up and dunk from anywhere on the floor. So now you're talking about having Baglia to a point where if they are double covering him or have the safety over top, for help, you might be looking at it, just throw it up and see if Jarrett Taylor can go get it potentially, which has to be very good for Manson, who's coming into his first full season as the starting quarterback. And let's also mention with Hall or excuse me, Martin coming back, Manson is a dual threat guy. I've seen Manson before, obviously played basketball green. That is going to take a little bit of pressure off both them. Because now Manson's not going to be required to throw the football every single play. He can make plays happen with his legs. And Martin, he's also going to be able to benefit from that as well and also understand that, hey, my quarterback can scramble, make something happen. I can too as the running back and see if he could, you know, dump down past me or something. I'm really intrigued with Green Mitch. I really am. I just, I know the season didn't end how they wanted to last year. And this is a team two years removed from obviously one of the bigger upsets in school history when they beat Maslin in the playoffs. This is a team to me that I think is really flying under the radar in terms of preseason hype, right? I, I mentioned it and, you know, we're all responsible for having our own takes and opinions here. I think McKinley and Hoover have to be the top two teams in the Fed coming into it. This to me though, green, this could be a team Mitch that surprises everybody. This could be a team that, you know, unfortunately looks like some having some young players in spots or inexperienced players in spots. But in terms of Dover, this is a very good test for them right? You're going to learn a lot if you're Dover by doing this. And yes, you know, since they become independent, you have to schedule these games like this because realistically a close loss like this, Mitch is only going to help you get better and also more so improve your chances of making the playoffs now as an independent. And like I told you with Maslin and who they play this week and some other teams, uh, Jackson playing Menor, some of these teams have some really tough first week opponents. It's nice to see this, though, to see what you can learn more about your team rather than playing perhaps an inferior opponent and running up the score. Yeah, Dover uh, is coming off a bit of a tough year where they didn't end up making the playoffs, even though they lost six out of their last seven. But four of those losses came in overtime, and twice they lost to St. Francis de Sales in double overtime, including that playoff opener. So they're trying to build upon uh, uh, last season, get back to some of the success they had in, say, 2020. One, I believe, is when they went 11 and two, uh, or when they went undefeated for the regular season, I should say. Uh, but they're going to be taking on the likes of Can South, Indian Valley, Canfield, Steubenville, St. Francis de Sales again, 
Boardman, and then, of course, the rivalry game against New Philadelphia. It's a tough task for Coach Dan Nift in his 29th season with the Crimson Tornadoes. Now, on the other side of uh, the – on the other, in the next town over, we have New Philadelphia playing host to Louisville. Louisville is getting a bit of a, a new – a bit of a fresh start as they have Chris Kappas coming in. The former Mount Union player and coach is coming over from Austin P after three seasons as a defensive coordinator. So he will take over now uh, for the Leopards and they take on a new Philadelphia team that kind of like Dover had a bit of a middling around uh, 500 record, but, but they had a little more success, obviously beating Dover in the rivalry game, getting into the playoffs. Uh, so I I'm, I'm curious to see what the match will be, will be like tonight and to see which Louisville players will be able to break out and have big games against a Quaker team that can still, they had a number of good defensive performances last year. There was just a few, like one or two games where they really allowed teams to run all over them. And with Louisville, Mitch, to your point, having first year head coach, uh, Chris Kappas, first year quarterback now for the Leopards in Owen Burek, who was named the starting quarterback by Kappas. This is the quarterback who has experience as a starting quarterback at St. Thomas Aquinas, and he was actually voted team captain by his teammates. So to me, that says a lot about the impact he's already made in his short stint at Louisville. Where th- This is a, such a big game for the Leopards, right? Because you want to be able to kick off the new era, the Chris Kappas era at Louisville on the right foot. It's not going to be easy. Obviously, we know going down to New Philly can be hard to play there, and we know that they are just very, very talented on both sides of the ball. At the same time, what is this offense for Louisville going to look like? You know, what is the scheme that Kappas and his coaching staff want to impose? And, you know, are they going to play to Burek's strengths on offense? That's the other thing. I'm very intrigued to see what Louisville does because, Mitch, this is a program that was so talented for so long and was a team that nobody wanted any part of. And now for the past few years, they've just unfortunately been not what they once were. This is a, a program, a community and school that is starving to get back to where they were, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Indeed. If they're going to stop New Philadelphia tonight, they're going to have an interesting time on defense because junior Keaton Fossil returns under center for New Philly. He was one of three also all Ohio Cardinal Conference players last year for the Quakers, and he was only a sophomore as they had a bit of an emergency at quarterback, and he filled in. So you'll see him on the field. You'll have a couple of seniors that have a lot of experience, including running back Eddie Richardson. Owen Shellis will be in there as well. Uh, Jaden Boltz, Garrett Dylan Rain should be also in there as well. Brody Gillen will be a big part of that. Uh, Louisville, it's going to take time to see what uh, Burek will do. Obviously, Burek coming over from St. Thomas Aquinas, where he has starting experience. And uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how the Louisville front offensive and defensive lines hold because they have a lot of big seniors in Cameron Atwell, Brady Hawk, and Cyrus Wright coming in at 5'10", 285, which is a big, uh, a big presence on the line for the leopards so before we go to break uh, i want to go over some of the other games that we have here is there any particular matchups in week one in stark that stand out to you i mean we kind of have the ones already here north canton hoover taking on booktal you have uh, lake taking on alliance that's could be big men are taking on jackson i mean you have uh, we mentioned green and dover western hills against glen oak i mean obviously the big one tonight is going to be maslin against valdosta because that's the one we kind of touched on earlier this week but are there just any ones that if people are going to take keep if there are other ones or if people are going to keep an eye on tonight is there any particular one you can name i think i saw you nod your head at the alliance lake matchup i like this alliance and lake matchup a lot mitch these are two teams that have a lot to prove right 
Lake, a phenomenal season last year, making it all the way to the regional final before ultimately falling short to Maslin. Alliance. We've talked about Alliance in a lot of different ways, Mitch. We've talked about how good they are at quarterback. We've talked about a couple of good players leaving Alliance and transferring elsewhere. Yet this is still a team that has a ton of talent and is now led by Oklahoma Sooner commit Brendan Zerbrook at quarterback. Yep. He is going to have a lot of hype around him. And for good reason, Mitch, if you're a quarterback from this area and you're committing to Oklahoma, there should be hype around you. Can he deliver? Can the Alliance Aviators respond well around him too? I think there's question marks on both sides of the ball for both teams. Kale Jarvis, now the quarterback at Lake, he obviously got snaps last year too uh, when Lake was going with the two-quarterback system between him and Butler. Alliance, though, Mitch, I think they have something they really want to prove this year, and what better way than to kick it off on the road in a hostile environment over at Lake, one of the one of my absolute favorite stadiums to go to up here in Stark County, just how it is set up and everything. It's just a very cool environment. Lake fans are all about their team and community. Can Alliance go over there, kick off week one on the right foot, and really, I think, I, I really do, I think we are going to be talking about this game Next week, when we recap what happened in high school football about being a really close back and forth contest, potentially. And after that, Mitch. Valdosta. Yeah. At Maslin. I, I mean, it, this is just this is something we have not seen in a long time. A magnitude of this matchup, two of the top five winningest high school programs in the country, not Ohio, not the Northeast, not the Midwest, the country. Maslin is going to have their hands full, but at the same time, you have to assume they are going to be ready to play. I am very excited for this game. I am very fortunate. I, I'm going to this game tonight. Um, I, I just, I'm excited to see what this looks like because I, I, I've touched on it before. Maslin has been a team that's been so good now for so long. They just cannot get over that hump. And this year, it looks like they've kind of tweaked some things and they're going to play against the best of the best in the regular season to see if that will help them eventually get over that hump later on in the playoffs and win or go home time. So as far as games in Tuscarawas County go, there are a number of IVC teams kicking off tonight. We mentioned Dover and New Philadelphia already, but we want to get to the IVC schools as well. Uh, the biggest matches for me tonight will be, I'm going to say Tuskegee Valley against Waynedale. That's an interesting matchup between two teams that are trying to find their ways back to success again. Tuscarawas Central Catholic against Canaan Valley could be interesting, but the one for me is going to be, and it's kind of a ways away from us, Caldwell up against Buckeye Trail because the Warriors were three and seven last season. But they they lost to a call a well, team that went eleven and two by a score of seventeen to six last year. So obviously the defense was able to do something that a number of other teams weren't able to do against the Skins. So we'll keep uh, I'll keep an eye on that and see what comes of it uh, by the time 10, 11 o'clock rolls around to this evening. So we'll keep, put a cap on that segment. We'll go over now to the next one right after this break here on the Big Time Sports Podcast Show.
If you're looking for a new or pre-owned car or truck, why not see the Parkway Auto Group? Parkway is a special group of automotive experts with eight brands to satisfy your needs. Come see the difference at the Parkway Auto Group on Commercial Parkway in Dover. Eight brands and one family. It's Parkway Auto Group. It takes a lot of practice to have a winning team. Alban Title has over 100 years of combined experience handling real estate, title, and escrow transactions. They serve Tuscarawas, Stark, Carroll, Harrison Counties, and more. So choose Alban Title for your next home refinance, sale, or purchase. They'll get it done quickly and professionally. Contact Alban Title at 330-334-5800 or visit their website, albantitle.com. Let them put their experience to work for you. And we're back here on the Big Time Sports Podcast Show, Mitch Spinell and Mitchell Bell. Let's transition now to professional football as we now go over to last night's preseason tie between the Cleveland Browns and the Philadelphia Eagles because, of course, that's how it goes for the preseason. We'll get to why it was a tie here in a second. We're going to get to 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 that specific subject. That being said, I don't really care about these preseason games as far as as far as the results or how the team is looking heading into the season. Most of the starters are not playing. Most of the starters didn't play last night. Uh, you know, that being said, there are some things to take away from this game. Main, I mean, one of the main things being uh, some of the players that we may or may not have to uh, release by the time uh, the season rolls around. We're down to 80 players, I believe, at this point of the preseason before we get down to the 53. Um you know, there's one name that everybody's been talking about, and it's a guy that's kind of been making names for himself since the start of the preseason. This Austin Watkins, who uh, is, you know, a guy who uh, was a former UAB receiver, uh, six foot three, 210 pounds. He's a rookie, obviously. A guy who has made some splashes here in the preseason. And last night, he looked like a number one NFL receiver. Seven catches for 139 yards and a touchdown, a long of 32 yards on a contested play. Um, 
I know that Cedric Tillman's been, been a notable name from the wide receiver core as well, but Cedric Tillman isn't going to get, doesn't have a chance of getting cut on from this team. I don't know where Austin Watkins is going to be, whether he's not going to be in Cleveland uh, in a couple of weeks. Do you feel like these first three games have given you enough to warrant Watkins probably the last spot on the Browns receiving core going into the season? Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> this is a no-name guy from UAB. You mentioned that. You have a couple guys that are fighting for roster spots, him being one of them. And he has put everybody else in the rearview mirror. One of the guys battling for a roster spot, Mitch, is a draft pick of ours, David Bell. Yeah. He has not been impressive. Mm -mm. He also had all of last year to be impressive. And now in his second preseason with the Cleveland Browns, he has yet to be impressive. Meanwhile, Watkins has come on and taken this, you know, taken us all by storm. You have Anthony Schwartz. I, I don't see a way in which he makes this team. Now, with Watkins as well, Mitch, how much playing time is he going to get when he makes this roster? Mm -hmm. Oh, it, you don't want to hope anybody gets hurt, but realistically, he's probably going to be wide receiver number five, not get a whole lot of playing time unless someone's hurt. The Browns are going to find themselves in a tricky spot because this is a team with their front office that stays loyal to their draft picks yeah you're going to now learn a lesson is this team keeping the best players or is this team going to reward the guys they drafted to let them develop still because in my eyes and i think a lot of browns fans eyes Watkins has outperformed david bell in any opportunity so far this preseason and david bell mitch has also been getting the same amount of chances cedric tillman last night looked really good obviously they're not going to move on from him at the uh, the spot they drafted in this past season. At the same time, you look down this list of wide receivers, right? Let's, let's be honest here. We know DPJ is safe. We know Elijah Moore is safe. We know Mari Cooper is safe. After that, Senator Tillman, yep. four. You have a realistic chance to make an argument for any of these other guys on there, right? And, and I'll skip over some of the no-name guys, but, you know, Jakeen Grant, this is a guy that was supposed to be a huge boost in the return game last year that tears his Achilles out for the year. Marquise Goodwin, this is a speedster, Mitch. To be honest, who I kind of assume is here to replace Anthony Schwartz. Does the same thing Anthony Schwartz does that can separate him from the rest of the pack. So if you keep that, that's five. The next guy on that list, Mitch, has to be Austin Watkins. And yeah, could I be falling prisoner of the moment? Absolutely. Have we fallen prisoner of the moment in preseason football to other players before for the Browns? Absolutely. But at the same time, we're falling prisoner of the moment because the guy that we expected to be a reliable receiver eventually for us has not given us any reason to believe he can be that in David Bell. One player of the moment that we're currently serving a sentence for is Dorian Thompson Robinson, who went 13 of 25 last night. It seemed like it just seemed like both starting quarterbacks were kind of off in this game. Tanner McKee didn't have a great game as well. Kellen Mond was the one who came in and had a touchdown to make the game somewhat make sense because you see the first quarter score and it's three to two. First of all, we already had the dumb, oh, the Phillies are beating the Guardians. Uh, those stupid posts that we saw last night. And then, of course, you know, Cleveland gets the, uh, the two. Scores in the second quarter, and that leads us to the topic that, ha that everyone's talking about today. I I feel as if I'm the only person who saw what happened last night and still just thinks, okay, because 
We saw what happened in the second quarter of last night's game. Cade York, a guy who's the last two weeks has had missed field goal opportunities in both the opener and the Hall of Fame game and then the game against Washington. Goes out, boots two field goals, three field goals, in fact, and you're thinking, okay, maybe this guy's got something. And they weren't just like little chip shots. These are from what, 37 yards out, 43 yards out, 39 yards out. Okay, you have something here. He's, you're getting that sports psychologist in the building and maybe helping him out again because for all the talent that we've seen from York since his days at LSU and his first season last year, right now it's it's all between what's in here. Yep, It's all between here. Then with two minutes left in the game, missed a field goal to take the lead, get a penalty for another shot, and then you missed that one as well. And all, this, and all that goodwill that was in the first quarter, all the worries that were washed away came right back for Browns fans. And all I'm thinking is, you know what? He's still got a few more weeks. Just let the man kick. Let the man do what he needs to do. I understand it's a mental thing right now. I do. But Cade York is not the first kicker to go through a, a mental phase of his career, young or 20 years in the league. So right now, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, just the worst thing we can do is panic and just let him, either let him go or let him out to the wolves enough to that we're just essentially destroying him before he even gets a chance to showcase his worth. And, I, and I'll, and I'll say it again, that field goal last year against Carolina might've been the ultimate ironic uh, uh, twist for a guy that, you know, gets drafted. You don't see a lot of kickers get drafted and he's still kind of young and developing. And when you see that happen, you're like, okay, we finally got our guy. And because of that, Browns fans trick themselves into falling in love too early. So when this happens in his second year in the league, you get nervous, you get paranoid, and you start thinking that everybody's coming after the per the person you fell in love with. And by the end, you just break up with them for essentially no reason. Well, it's going to be a reason if he starts missing kicks in the regular season to win games. Yeah. I mean, that that's different. Preseason, I get it. The Browns locker room right now, Mitch, is doing a very nice job of trying to remain positive. Dorian Thompson Robinson last night after the game, you know, that's my teammate over there. We have a lot of confidence in him. Uh, cannot remember who it was next, uh, I believe, from the defensive side of the ball saying, no, we believe in him. We see him in practice. This dude's automatic in practice. You know, it, it is what it is. They have confidence in him. But Mitch, do they have confidence in him right now because these games don't matter? Is that real? Is that a real possibility? Because if he goes out week one against the Bengals, and this is a field goal, they lose by two. Week two, he goes out and misses another couple of field goals. How long are you going to say I have I have my teammates back before you realize realistically you're doing everything you can except for your kicker making kicks? Right. I, I, I want it, I want him to be the answer. I really do because I don't want to have to go through this again and like. Find me my kicker banging on the table, demanding we get the next Phil Dawson in here. Which, by the way, this just further proves how fortunate we were for Phil Dawson. May I just sure. point that out? I, I really want him to be the guy. But at the same time, I do have real doubts. And to your point, him kicking that game when he field goal last year against Carolina, the irony in that right now, and maybe it was the worst possible thing that could have happened because I'm sure he went from feeling on top of the world. The Browns finally win a season opener. They win on the road. They beat Baker Mayfield, and the Panthers. To can't read the wind inside first energy stadium, which is not easy to do. 
but starts missing other chip shot field goals, starts, you know, missing PATs. It's just like, oh man, what is, what's going on? You have to hope you can figure it out because Mitch, in practice, he is automatic. Before games, he's pretty automatic. I watched yeah. him at Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium boot a 60-yarder with ease. It's like, wow, this guy is good. But as soon as the game starts, there's something that just isn't clicking or is it the holder? As crazy as that sounds, Corey Bajorquez, our holder. If you go back and look at every team he's punted for and look at every kicker he has held for, most of the kickers he has held for have their worst career field goal percentage when he is their holder. Hmm. Now, that is that is a three different team sample size. That is in Minnesota. That is in Buffalo and Seattle. Or is it two different kickers in Buffalo? It's three different kickers for sure. Mason Crosby had his worst year ever as a kicker with the Green Bay Packers when Bohorquez was a holder. Now, there could be other years Bohorquez was a holder, but there has been at least three kickers impacted by this. And at some point, you know, the Browns have said last year when this started to come up, oh, we're not worried about it. At what point do you start to get worried and wonder if that could be a realistic thing? Because Mitch, sometimes pregame, when these guys are making field goals, nobody's out there holding for them. They just have the, the stand that holds the ball there for them. Is it something as simple as our punter just is not a good holder when it comes to extra points and field goals? Yeah, I don't know. The Borges thing is interesting, but I, I don't I, I don't see that as more I don't see that as anything more than trying to find another reason as to why your kicker can't make kicks right now. And 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 it's going to it's going to become important come regular season time that you can make these key kicks, especially when you're coming off a year where, you know, you have one of the worst conversion rates in the league. You miss multiple point after touchdowns. So I can kind of see where some people are panicking, but at the same time, I'm thinking, look, we got to just let this run a little bit. Don't feel like you have to bring in Mason Crosby out of retirement or Robbie gold or, or Phil Dawson, 50, not 53 year old Phil Dawson. I think he is at this point, if not older, just calm down for a second. If the guy gives some guy, give the guy some time to develop before he becomes the likes of like Zane Gonzalez or whoever is a young kicker that we let go and then found other success with other teams. I, that, I that's just where I'm at right now. Keep in mind, Kevin Stefanski's been in this situation before the Vikings actually had a guy named Daniel Carlson, Mitch. Yes. And uh, where is he at now? Oh, Vegas. And is he a really good kicker? He is. Maybe the Browns also have worries of that happening to them at the same time. Right. Which, which, you know, it, you can, you can give the front office as much crap as you want, but when it's their job on the line for bad draft picks and then cutting a guy too early and then going on to become a pro bowler somewhere else, they have to have this approach. Also, the other thing I want to say, uh, Ronnie Hickman Jr. needs to make this football team out of Ohio State has already matched his career interceptions at Ohio State here in the preseason. He has another interception last night. That is now three interceptions for him. Mitch, he is playing very well. Now the issue becomes, are they going to keep that many safeties? Or are they going to, you know, who would they, is he able to play special teams so he still gets a little bit of playing time? Mitch, the preseason can be like, oh, yay, football's back. Let's go spend seven bucks to watch this preseason game. But at the same time, for guys like Ronnie Hickman, Yep. Guys like Watkins, these guys are going to make jobs a lot harder for front office personnel and coaching staff and other players because they are having themselves very, very good preseasons. 
And the other name out here that I really like is uh, Diabete. Diabate, Bite, Bate? Yeah, Bate, yeah. Bate, that's what I thought. Mitch, he has played very, very well. He He's blown up a couple runs. He's in there on tackles. I believe he was in there on the safety last night, if not last night, then last week against Washington. Diabite and Hickman and Watkins, Mitch. Those are the three guys I'm watching this upcoming last preseason game for the Cleveland Browns because I think those are th- three guys that have very good chances to make this roster as we head into week one of the NFL season here in a couple of weeks. The NBA will probably make the team uh, Watkins. I could see making the team Hickman. I, I like, I like what he's done. I liked what he had against Washington, the two interceptions there. And obviously last night, but in keeping that many safeties, I do wonder if it's going to be either him transitioning over to special teams or uh, maybe uh, going to the Browns taxi squad so that the, you know, they can have an opportunity to come back up with the team again uh so there's that we will go over to uh our final segment here in just a little bit right after these messages here on the big time sports podcast show and it is now time for another installment of fuel move recovered featuring michaela iono physical therapist and president of advancing athletics doc thank you so much for taking the time to join me again this week absolutely mitch so this week i wanted to really get into the sort of science regarding uh, obviously physical athletics, but also the sort of uh, multi-use of athletes uh, between different sports, especially getting into the season now. We're going to have multiple sports throughout the area. We're going to see kids be competing all throughout the county as well as the rest of the state of Ohio. And with that, you might be see some instances where I've seen this in the past, uh, kids who participate in uh, multiple sports around the same time, whether it be for different seasons or even ones involving this year. Like you might have a kid playing football who might also go out for soccer, might be playing golf and football or vice versa. One of the two, either way, I wanted to get your take on this because it is a very interesting sort of discussion regarding uh, should kids be specializing in one certain thing or should they be trying to broaden their horizons and uh, participate in multiple things in order to get themselves fully fleshed out as athletes what is your take on that well i think mitch this is really a multifaceted topic like i guess um, many of the things are that we discuss on my segment the biggest thing i think it's important to separate out you know specialization um within the year versus specialization maybe within a season so the specialization that we talk about, especially when it comes to like baseball, that's a really common one. Um, more so refers to the fact that when you play a sport, you need to give your body a certain amount of rest so that it can kind of like be rebuilt, you know, um, the grind of a season, lots of practice, um, repetitive movements. These things all add up to either increase injury risk or even decrease performance just because you're getting tired at the end of the, at the end of the season, whatever season we're talking about. So of course, the first thing we always, um, uh, myself as a doctor of physical therapy, you know, the thing that we always think about is injury risk. So the specialization within the year, we really advocate against And there's a lot of pretty strong uh, research supporting that, as well as when you play multiple sports, it gives you an opportunity to develop skills that then can transfer to, let's, your primary sport. And that's why we hear about 
uh, kids in college athletics or at uh, men, uh, men and women at the professional ranks and how they played so many different sports and how that benefited them. Well, as much as that is an um, advantage to athletes, it is also a disadvantage, generally speaking, to play multiple sports in the same season itself. And the that first topic is always injury risk. You know, the best availability is of a best ability is availability. So um the the sports, there's no two sports that you can combine that are going to not increase your injury risk, just from the nature of competing, trying your hardest, and of course the practice that goes along with it. And that would be the primary or first thought uh, that we would want parents and athletes to consider is, is this worth playing both sports? Is it worth not committing to one sport in that season um, with the associated injury risk that can come with having that much more exposure, so to speak, to possible injuries, even not just contact, just repeating movements? over and over again, while your teammates from soccer are resting, you're doing football practice or vice versa, for example. I see. And, you know, with sort of system like this, you know, obviously you want to make sure that kids are still remaining safe. You want to make sure that they're uh, staying uh, in a good place when they're specializing in these different types of athletics. I mean, you talked about this with me before the second row, getting adapted to these certain athletics and how difficult it might be if you're playing two different things at the same time. Can you go into further detail for the audience? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're not, you know, there's only one Deion Sanders, you know, or Bo Jackson. So the reason why those names, in, well, not only are they just like generational talents, but the reason why they are so, um, what's the right word, uh, prominent? is because there are so few of them. There are so few individuals that are so good at multiple sports that they are able to compete at um, a an elite level at, at those multiple sports, especially within, um, well, I guess that's amplified to sports that are done in the same year. So most of, most people are just not that incredible. And on top of that, how are you going to get incredible at a sport if you're having to divide your time between multiple sports, uh, like again, during the year, all, uh, sorry, during the season, this is of course, um, everything that I say is, uh, relative to playing multiple sports in the same season. So, you know, the, the opportunity to be able to, uh, dedicate enough time to get good at that particular, at one particular sport is going to be hindered by the fact that you're playing another sport. If for no other reason, other than you're just going to be more tired when you go to, again, let's use soccer and football, uh, since you mentioned them before. So, uh, I really like soccer, but I'm also playing football. And so how am I going to really practice hard for soccer? If I'm also practicing for football, okay, maybe you're just the kicker and then that's, but that's a different Again, there's not very many of those and there's only, you know, one kicker on the team, on the varsity team, and maybe, you know, the football coach will bring in two or three soccer players. So beyond that, how about everybody else? You know, so you, then you would be playing positions or maybe soccer and cross country. Well, now all of a sudden, 
are you running is your effort reserved for cross country practice or do you go all, all all out there in soccer and then just do your best during cross country so again you're having to make these decisions before you get to even see what your capacity is and then again how are you going to develop those skills if you're either limited in time energy or you know maybe you did get beat up from the other sport so your you have to remember that we're mostly talking about high school kids. That's what our, you know, where our kind of focus is, you know, and it's just so difficult in order to find that balance, uh, potentially because it doesn't exist because there's only one Bo Jackson and one Deion Sanders in a small collection of, of other individuals who are even capable of competing, you know, at the top of either of those sports. Well, alongside the sort of physical aspects of this sort of topic, we also want to get into the sort of uh, uh, mental uh, capacities of this as well. I mean, we kind of talked about this before, but how would a practice such as this kind of have an impact on uh, a student athlete's potential life outside the sport, whether it be through their own uh, school coursework or maybe just their life outside of the, uh, the activities that they go through after the bell rings? That again, man, it's it's so uh, prescient because your ability to get everything done in life, even when we talk about things outside of the sport, is just so limited. Because again, are you not going to practice of one of the sports, or what is you know? There's this concept of opportunity cost, meaning by me choosing to do one thing. I'm therefore deciding not to do another thing. So if I decide to go to the weight room, for example, I'm in high school and I have homework and I have a big test and I'm not doing well in a class or I'm not confident in the, um, the material. Well, we, I could either go to the weight room after I get done with practice, or I could go home and study. You can't do both you know, okay, maybe you can bring some flashcards and stuff like that, you know, but the point is, is, is opportunity cost defines that there's a set amount of time that we have in the day. So the, the final component of playing multiple sports in a season is just that quality of life aspect, because you have to go to school, you have to sleep, you know, we want you to have social time with friends, you have chores to do at home. And you know, you're being pulled by now two different sports and the coaches, because it's like, you know, both coaches are going to say, you know, that my sport or their individual sport is the priority. What coach would be like, nah, don't come to practice today. It's all right. I know, I know you're doing both sports. So, you know, just go ahead and skip today, even though everybody else is here and grinding and sacrificing and trying to be their best. You know, we know that you're, you know, also playing soccer. So you get a pass, you know, so that's so, and then the, the soccer coach is saying the same thing. It's like, now, you know, you shouldn't be missing practice. You better not be missing practice. It's okay to go to your cross country practice or your uh, meets, but you better make sure that you're playing. And then the coaches, just because of how human minds work, you know, I might start, they might start to question, you know, is it too much? Is it, is it the fact that he maybe likes that other sport more? And so you put yourself, the athlete puts themselves in a tough situation, um, trying to be two things at once. And so just the 
toll, not only physically, as we talked about, that'll prevent you from really achieving excellence in either. Also, there's the stress of like, how do I manage these expectations from these two um, teams? And of course, teammates, you know, it's like, hey, man, like we're out here grinding and working our tails off. Where are you? You know, so it, it's there's so many dynamics that, you know, I, I think athletes need to do. We are advocates for the athletes, for the families and the parents. So you need to do what's best for you. But rarely, I think, is there a situation where um, the best thing is to divide your time like that. Um, and then the final thing, you know, is just for those of you that are hearing this and are playing in multiple sports yourself or are the parents or friends of of such individuals, you know, it's is this for fun or do you want to actually get good at this stuff? Um, because that's the final piece that you need to consider because if it's for fun, then maybe you can kind of like let some of this roll off your shoulder or, you know, maybe you're in band and then you play a sport also. Okay. Maybe there's some balance there. And it's like, I like to do both. It's okay if I'm not great at both, but you know, you still have to deal with all those other things and the quality of life aspects, so to speak, that are going to play into this. Well, Doug, I ask you again this week, where can those who may be seeking a service such as yours at Advancing Athletics be able to find and contact you? Anyone that has either comments or questions about what we discussed today, you can find me on social media at Michele Iono. You can follow us, uh, Advancing Athletics, Facebook and Instagram, and feel free to shoot me an email, recover at advancingathletics.com. Once again, Michaela Iono, physical therapist and president of Advancing Athletics. We thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Mitch. Have a great week. Thank you. As well, you as well. And back to the show.
I got it here on the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. One more Browns thing before we get uh, to our next topic here. We got the news this afternoon that uh, former number one pick Jadavion Clowney and former Browns player Jadavion Clowney has reached a deal with the Baltimore Ravens for a one-year deal worth uh, $2.5 million. Could potentially be up to $6 million. So that's going to be, what, three sacks and two tackles for loss when he first game against the Browns this year? Uh, probably the first game and then second game will either be, he's going for the most sacks against an opponent in Ravens franchise history, or he's probably going to be so dominant already this year. He's going for the most sacks in a season, uh, by any Baltimore Raven, but yes, just prepare for him to absolutely wreak havoc against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, he'll probably go from the left side to the right side, just go up against Jed Wills. And we don't even need to see how that's going to go, but yeah, Mitch, typically anytime. And I just remember they have Odell. I don't, I do not want to play the Ravens. Yeah, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. All right. So let's go over the next one. Cavaliers released their schedule for, well, actually the NBA released all the schedules for yesterday, for this season yesterday. And the Cavaliers were among them, obviously the Cavs coming off a, uh, a season that had a lot of highs, but some big lows last year, obviously the last being that they lost to the Knicks in the first round of the playoffs. Now they'll be in New York for the Wednesday, October 25th season opener but it's not against the Knicks. It's going to be against the Brooklyn Nets, the Barclays Center. Then they'll return home for a three-game homestand in late October that is culminated by a Halloween rematch with the Knicks in Cleveland. Uh, it's going to be That's going to be an interesting matchup here. And there's a number of games that are going to be intriguing this year in Cleveland. 17 games the Cavs are going to play this year on national uh, broadcast, which is a step up from, la- from last season, obviously, and it's going to showcase a lot of what the Cavaliers – we hope the Cavaliers can do Donovan Mitchell coming back in Darius Garland, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen trying to build on last year's success. And that includes games towards the end of November against both representatives of the conferences in the finals last year, the Miami heat and the Denver nuggets. Mitch, I'm really excited about the schedule. I, I am first off the national TV thing to me is big. Now when the schedule, if I'm not mistaken, when the schedule was released last year, was Donovan Mitchell already Cleveland Cavalier? I don't, I don't think he was because the Cavs had virtually no primetime games. Now, that is when the original schedule came out. I believe they got flexed into about three or four. Having this many primetime games is great because this team, although they were out muscled in the playoffs, Mitch, as much as I hated the quote, the spotlight was too big. Well, now you're going to have the spotlight on you a lot more this year. And that's exactly what this team needs. They need to grow up, mature a little bit because they were still very young, get more physical and have the spotlight on them as much as possible because if the spotlights on them and this team does not perform, then this is an actual issue. And you have to figure out what piece you might have to move off of. That is a reason you can't perform in the spotlight. It also allows us as Cavs fans, Mitch, to get very excited for these games. Because for a number of years, obviously, the post-LeBron part one, post-LeBron part two, getting a primetime game to us was a big deal because we probably got, what, one or two a year and somehow it was always against, like, the Wizards. <laughs> and it was just like, okay, like, this game doesn't mean anything. But now, Mitch, you're talking about four games in, boom, national television. Back-to-back national television, or, you know, if you have NBA TV, it's technically national televised. Yeah, but, yeah. you know. Back-to-back on the West Coast against Golden State and Sacramento, two playoff teams. Then you come home, Philly, Boston, Atlanta, Milwaukee, 
Brooklyn, which is a neutral site game on Thursday, January 11th at 2 p.m. I'd like to know where that game's at because on the schedule, it has a little asterisk next to it. I scrolled down. Wait, wait, which game was that? Thursday, January 11th, 2 p.m., NBA TV versus the Brooklyn Nets. That that game's in Cleveland. It says neutral site. Oh, excuse me. That, that game's going to be played in France. Yep. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. In Paris, yeah. That was the one where uh, they announced it a few weeks ago that the two teams are going to resume the uh, the NBA Paris series. That's cool, then. That's, I mean, and also like a Thursday. Typically, the only day during the week that you get to watch afternoon basketball is Christmas yep. and then Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so now you're talking about just Thursday, January 11th, boom, lunch break from work. Let's flip on the Cavs game. Or maybe you're at work and you're going yes. to discreetly flip on the Cavs game. Uh, but it, it's really, really cool. Obviously, the big one I always look for, Mitch, Saturday, November 25th, the Lakers come to town. LeBron returns home. That should be a good one. Typically, it's been later in the season when LeBron comes. Uh, so this one's going to be a little earlier. I'm also intrigued to see how the in-season tournament's going to go. I'm not sure how I feel about it still. At the same time, I'm not going to sit here and say it sucks because, Mitch, what if it turns out to be one of the greatest things ever that Adam Silver came up with? I don't know how I feel about it yet. Do I think it might take away from the NBA a little bit? Potentially, you know, but at the same time, could this get teams that start out hot and eventually fade into the season to play and maybe buy in a little bit more than thinking like, oh, we made it this far in the in-season tournament. Maybe we don't tank. Is this going to potentially eliminate tanking? If it does, I'm all for it. At the same time, it's going to be talking about the Cavs and basketball coming around the corner here soon. And realistically, I'm very excited because Mitch, two teams for sure. Maybe a third team. No reason right now, though, that I can say the Cavs are any worse than fifth best in the Eastern Conference, specifically because of the turmoil in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, we we kind of touched on it in the last episode how James Harden is essentially burning, lighting the bridge on fire behind him to Philadelphia, and uh, but Daryl Morey just keeps building another bridge right behind him, so uh, he can keep his relationship there even though he doesn't want it. Uh, a couple things on the docket. Number one, you asked the question before the regular season schedule last year was released on August seventeenth, twenty twenty two. The Donovan Mitchell trade was made on September third, so it was not while Donovan was on the team. Uh, which explains probably why there were a number of Utah games that uh, people got to see Laurie Markkinen uh, become an all-star in real time. Number two, uh, I listed off a couple of matchups that barring the injuries or load management for certain stars, which I was the victim of, I, along with other Cavs fans, was the victim of a few times last year. Uh, you'll see you know, the Golden State Warriors on November 5th. That's Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. You have LeBron and the Lakers on November 25th. Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks in multiple occasions, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, Zion Williamson and the New Orleans Pelicans on December 21st. The Milwaukee Bucks on multiple occasions, including tw- December 29th in Cleveland. And then you'll have uh, in the next part of the year, you'll have uh, Victor Wembanyama and the San Antonio Spurs early in January. You also have the LA Clippers on January 29th. The Dallas Mavericks come into town. The Sacramento Kings come into town. The Sixers, the Bulls. The Knicks, it's it's going to be an interesting time in Cleveland to see all this talent come through. And then you mentioned those play-in games between Philadelphia or between Indiana on November 3rd, November 21st in Philadelphia, 
November 28th on Tuesday against visiting Atlanta. And uh, I believe I, that is it. And then the winner of the group play stage will advance with the seven other teams to the knockout round. The one thing that you did mention that I want to also, you know, in terms of changes the NBA did this year, Mitch. Yes. Cleveland was one of the cities and teams affected most last year by, you know, rest, right? Load management. Keep in mind now the NBA has input certain criteria of minimum number of games for these players to meet in order to be eligible for awards, right? Right. MVP, defensive player of the year, sixth man, first team, second team, whatever, all those awards, which Mitch, some players will probably play a little bit more this year because, and I say younger ones, because of the kickback you get in your contract of the money you get when you make or win those awards. Yep. Some of these older players like a Kawhi Leonard, who obviously is injury prone. LeBron obviously does not really care. No. Steph Curry probably doesn't care. They, those guys still, they've done uh, maybe hopefully this year, the Cavs actually, and fans actually get to see the golden state warriors, not their G league team. Pretty much that came here and beat the crap out of the Cavs. I was going to say, and hopefully we can beat them. Yeah. Yeah. But also I like that the NBA did that because when LeBron left the first time and Kyrie was here, my dad asked me a question. He said, do you think Kyrie Irving yet? This might've been year one or two. Do you think Kyrie Irving yet is the type of player where if we lived in Denver and we were Nuggets fans where you'd say, I want to go watch the Cavs because they have Kyrie Irving, right? Like we know arena sell out because people want to see LeBron James play. Now, Hopefully these younger fans that want to appreciate greatness and see these tremendous talents actually get to see that because last year, Mitch, the Cavs rocket mortgage field house, the Cavs fans, and even the players going up against great competition, they were robbed. When you go back and look at the names that did not play when they came to Cleveland last year. And what's really upsetting is the lack of notice for some of those fans who pay so much money for those tickets to show up and see those people play. And for them not to play. That's that's a big issue I've had, to be honest with you. And yeah, sure, you can call people crazy for spending thousands and thousands of dollars for it. But at the same time, Mitch, you have families that are displaced because of work that might live here that meanwhile grew up on the West Coast and they're huge Golden State Warriors fans. They want to be able to go see them and then they don't get to see them. Same with Portland and Damian Lillard and uh, Devin Booker in Phoenix. That's another one. Kawhi Leonard didn't play last year. Hopefully that's able to be changed this year because of the requirement, a minimum number of games. That is one thing I'm very happy with Adam Silver, and that is something I know I'm going to keep an eye on to see what players might play a little bit more than we've seen previous years because they want to win some awards and get the money kicked back in their contract. I was going to tell if that's uh, going to be an issue that can be fixed. I mean, I've heard some people say that the, the issue of load management is unfixable because you can't really dictate it in a way that doesn't feel overbearing to the players and the players union. But nevertheless, we'll see how it goes. Uh, and finally, we got to talk about how the, the Tim Anderson saga is in the books. His suspension got cut back from six games to five games following a settlement. And like the Cade York thing, I saw his apology on social media last night. At first, I, I think I, I might have made a mistake reading the comments first, but a lot of people were saying, oh, uh, what was it? Uh, it's, this apology is such an is the most non-apology ever. I didn't really read into anything that even if I was reading it in Tim Anderson's voice, I don't 
I didn't pick up on anything that felt backhanded or condescending. Did you? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I did not even know he apologized. I have not <laughs> seen the apology. Um, also, partially because I've just, you know, with a new schedule and going to bed as early as I do, I'm right. typically asleep between 9 and 9.30 every night. Um, so now as I'm going to read this here, yes. which you know what, Mitch, should I read it for all, our, all of our listeners that are unable to, you know, watch us right now? I was going to say either those who are watching or those who can't hear. So go right ahead. Or no, those, those who can't see. Sorry. Sorry. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sorry. 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 I just realized what I said. What did you say? I couldn't hear, hear you. <sighs> All go right. Ahead. Tim Anderson last night. I want to apologize to the entire White Sox organization, my teammates, managers, and coaches, and to the fans for my part in the altercation, which took place in Cleveland. This has been an incredibly disappointing season for me personally and for our team. I will not get into the things that were said to me by Cleveland players both Friday night and Saturday, but those comments do not excuse my language or conduct, and I take full responsibility for my emotions getting the better of me. The Cleveland players are free to say whatever they want, but I will just say that no one has more respect for the game of baseball than me. I look forward to returning after serving my suspension and finishing the season playing the best baseball I can to help my team. Unquote. Signed, Tim Anderson. Unquote. Okay, so yeah, the only sentence I, looking back that I could see as maybe like self-serving is, I will not get into the things that were said by me uh, to me by Cleveland players, both Friday night and Saturday. Cause obviously we know that there, there were words exchanged between the two sides when you push Brian Rocchio's hand off the bag and then stand over Jose Ramirez as he's sliding into second. We all know this, this happened. It is a kind of a case of like, you know, yes, mom, I'm sorry for what I did. You know, even, even though, uh, my older brother, was the one who pushed me first. I shouldn't have done that. It's one of those things that you're kind of piling on to make it seem like it was what you did wasn't as egregious, but uh, I, I don't know. I didn't see this as like, I, I'm it's still we're I'm not still not going to feel bad for ordering my down goes Anderson shirt, but at the same time, this didn't feel like anything that's going to, to in, ignite more of the fire I have against Anderson and the white Sox. No, I, I agree. Look, we don't like teams in the American League Central to begin with. I think my only issue reading that in real time, and so now you're going to get a pure, genuine reaction out of me. He can't play the victim, Mitch, when last year we had the incident already of him turning around and showing the middle finger to whoever it was still wasn't the right look. He was suspended by MLB for it. He has had a very tough couple of years as a player. He went from being, Mitch, really what a lot of people thought could be maybe a face of baseball. I don't think it's fair to say there really is, well, before this year, there was a specific face of baseball. Yes, Trout, but at the same time, you look how often he was hurt, whatever. Now it's Otani. I don't really think you can argue that. At the same time, we know, to your point, he pu he pushed Rokio off the, off the bag, stood over Jose. We know oh, they said he was saying things to the young players, which Jose didn't like. The hard part for us is, yes, we are biased. The hard part is we also watch the Guardians mostly every single night they're on. We don't get to watch the White Sox. What we do know is the player that was on display in Jose Ramirez has never done anything like that before. He has never been, that was his first career ejection, first career suspension. And to see him react like that means that, that something was built up. I'm not going to speak on what Tim Anderson is like every night because I'm not a White Sox fan. That's not my place to speak or say. But 
when you look at some of the other issues around baseball that teams and players have had with White Sox and their players, and a former teammate of the White Sox coming out and saying how bad the culture is in the locker room and nobody's held accountable, you can kind of piece together what you want. I do think that Cleveland players were talking and saying things to Tim Anderson. Mitch, it's part about it's part of being a competitor, right? When you're on the field or you're on the court, you're going to say things. And at the same time, you're typically able to drop them afterwards because you're just a competitor, right? I mean, my goodness. You wouldn't even think of it, but you look at all these old retired players in the NBA. Who was one guy that was sneakily a really good trash talker? Tim Duncan is their answer. You never would have thought Tim Duncan talked trash, but he was. We know Kevin Garnett was a loud mouth, but now post playing days, he's a really fun guy to kind of listen to on podcasts and whatnot. So some of these guys, they let the competitiveness get the best of them. That could easily be what happened between Anderson and Ramirez. Ramirez still in the fight. And unfortunately, now we have to wait all the way till 2024 before we see these two teams square up again. And I'm pulling it up right now so I get it right. Because I am intrigued to see when these two teams score off. Obviously, it's a while ago. Monday, April 8th against Chicago, the home opener in Cleveland. That is the first time these two teams will have met since the scuffle or the series the scuffle happened, if you will. Quite a home opener to uh, for fans to attend. So we'll and it's on the, uh, the solstice, right? Uh, the eclipse, the, the eclipse, the, the total lunar eclipse, the solar yeah. eclipse. Yeah. I think that's the day. Yeah. I think that's when they open. So it'll be, uh, it'll be white socks against the guardians with a black sky. So there we have, it. that is the time we have here on the big time sports podcast show. Thank you so much for listening and or watching no matter what your abilities are as a human being. I just want to put that out there. I know I got that one wrong. I just wanted to make sure I, 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 I know my ways around, deaf and blind and that's yeah so anyway uh you you can if you're able to you can listen to the podcast on apple Podcasts and spotify uh if you're able to watch it here on youtube be sure to like subscribe and hit the bell uh you can also find us on bigtimesportsohio.com we are also on uh social media at big time sports ohio at bts ohio on twitter at mitch spinell at mitchell Bala, everywhere else mitch what's the fact of the day your fact of the day is astronauts grow taller in space the lack of gravity allows their spines to stretch out, making them taller. So if you ever want to get taller, let's go to space. Isn't I was going to say, has that been confirmed? And is if so, isn't that a thing where it kind of, it's a temporary and it kind of wears off after a few weeks or so? It would wear off once you're back, you know, yeah. around. Now, if you're just okay. in space forever, which I don't think we've really figured that out yet. Um, no, you grow a couple inches. But honestly... If you're getting near your time to renew your license, you might want to go to space first, come back, get it that very same day. Maybe it'll be a couple inches taller. I know a lot of people worry about the height on their license. Well, well, I'll take take my stuff to the moon DMV. So thank you so much for listening and or watching the Big Time Sports Podcast Show.